The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. I do hope you had a blessed week, as other pastors have have said up here. We come to the last Sunday of of the year, the last Sunday of 2020. It's always an interesting Sunday to preach because you just ended kind of a series normally of Christmas and you don't really want to start something because you kind of want to wait for that for the new year. So it's just kind of this buffer Sunday in there that you don't always know what to do with. A lot of pastors will hand this off to one of the other pastors uh, to get them to do it so that they have to focus and worry. I attempted that. They said no. So here I am this morning. But I'm thinking of that, the end of the year, it was an interesting year for us, wasn't it? Interesting year for, for everybody. One of the ways that we talk about it, though, we, we talk about it as if it's over. Just because 2020 ends, I want you to know it's not over. <laughs> we, we keep going. Things keep happening. COVID's not going to say, hey, 2020's over. I'm out. It doesn't happen that way. Uh, so we'll keep going. But thinking of kind of an end, we, we usually bookmark our years, January 1st, December 31st. We look at it this way. And so as we come to 2020, I think we all can admit it was the year that seemed like it would never end. But it is coming to a close finally. And regardless of what this year has brought into your life or what maybe you feel it's taken out of your life, this morning I want us to look at Psalm 90 because I think Psalm 90 has some good words for us, some good truths that will help us. It'd be good for each of us to hear. And so if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to go to Psalm 90. It should be right pretty much smack dab in the middle of the Bible, pretty close to that. But as we get to this psalm, this actually is the oldest psalm that we have. It's a psalm of Moses. It's a psalm that Moses would write when he was wandering in the desert with Israel. And we need to remember that as we look at this and remember that context of, of, what, is, of what is going on with them. Right? God had redeemed Israel from Egypt, had brought them out, had brought them out. He was going to take them into the promised land, but because of sin within Israel, uh, because of a lack of faith in seeing the battles that they were going to have to fight and the people that they would have to fight, God said, fine, you now are going to wander. You're going to wander in the desert. You're going to wander in the wilderness until everybody who's over 20 dies and passes away. And so this is what's happening. This is what is going on when when Moses would write this psalm. Some would say that Moses would write this psalm. If you remember this story, snakes would enter the camp, would bite a lot of people within Israel. They would get sick. That maybe this was written during this time when this was going on. But it's a good psalm for us, I think, this morning. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 17. I'll read that. Please follow along and, and listen. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For 
We are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Well, this psalm breaks down into some sections and that's what we're going to do. We'll break it down into some sections and look at them. The first is the first two verses there. In the first two verses, we see Moses speaking of the transcendence of God. We see how big God is. Moses in verse 1 there acknowledges. He acknowledges man's need for God at all times, right? Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Think about it. He's dealing with a people who have had no food. They've had no water. People have been gotten bitten by snakes. Giants are their enemies that they have to go and destroy. And so Moses is in a position of understanding that they needed God. They, they needed something Right, And it was God is who they needed. Now, maybe you would say for Moses, this is easy to understand. But I think for all of us, right, we get to a point maybe in our life where we understand this truth. I'm sure you've been there before. Sadly, we're not always in this position where we should always understand our need for God, to dwell with him, for him to dwell with us. But for a lot of, for a lot of us in our, in our life, It takes something bad to happen, something really difficult to happen to where we run out of all of our resources. You know, we've done everything that we know to do to answer this problem or to solve this thing. And we just get to the point to where finally we pray or or finally we go to God and say, God, you alone are the one that can help me here. You alone are the one that that I need. And it takes this really difficult thing to, to get us to this point. But Moses is acknowledging this should always be the case for us. In all the generations that have come, you have been our dwelling place. We need, we need you and you alone. And isn't that the truth? Hopefully, if you're a believer this morning, you understand that God alone is the safest place to dwell. Well, there, there's other places to dwell. There's other people maybe to trust in. God alone is the one that we can truly find our rest. This is what David would write in the 23rd Psalm that many of you you know. When he speaks of the 23rd Psalm and he speaks of the good shepherd taking the sheep where to to green pastures to lay down and to find rest. That's what would happen in in there. And it's only God that can do this for us to give us this rest that we so desperately seek in this life. In verse 2, Moses would go on and he would talk about how God is everlasting. You think about Moses wandering in the mountains, wandering in the desert, wandering around all this wilderness. And one of the things that he realizes maybe at this moment 
is he realizes first, and we think of it this way, man is eternal, right? We, we are created to be eternal beings, but God is different. God is everlasting. There's a difference between eternal and everlasting. You and I, we, we have a starting point. Our birthday, when we were born, you might say even before that, in our mother's womb, right? We have this starting point, but God there is no starting point with God. God always has been and always, always will be. There, there was no time ever when God was not. And Moses is acknowledging this in, this in this moment, right? And he would look at the mountains, probably the biggest thing he would see, the grandest thing that he would see and think of, and he would acknowledge the fact that, God, you are before these mountains. Before these mountains were ever formed, you, you were. And even acknowledging Moses as the creator of those mountains, or of God, of of those mountains, creating those mountains. And what he realizes at this moment is these these obstacles that are difficult for us, right, to get past, the the hills, the mountains, the no water, no food. God, this is no obstacle for you. You always have been, you always will be. There is nothing that blocks your way like things block our way. So Moses is acknowledging these things, and it's, it's really an interesting thing to compare verse two to verse three because he says these things about, about God, how he is everlasting to everlasting regard. You formed things, you made the earth, you are the creator. And then you get to verses three through six and especially verse three and Moses starts to talk about how quickly our life is vanishing away. Because if you compare verse two, everlasting to everlasting you are God, verse three, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Well, that's the opposite of everlasting, is, is it not? You go back to the dust. You go back here. This is a very humbling verse for us. And we see this promise before in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, when God was in the garden with Adam and Eve and they had sinned and he was telling the serpent of the curse and him, the woman and the man, when he gets to Adam in verses uh, 17 to 19, He would say, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust, you shall return. Now, if we're trying to look at a comparison of who am I compared to God, this is the comparison. God the Father is everlasting to everlasting. The creator always has been, always will be. And who am I? Well, I was formed from dust and of dust I will return. If that doesn't humble you, I'm not sure what will humble you. And Moses acknowledges something for us here as well. It is God who decrees when this happens. It's not fate. It's not just happenstance. It's not just, it's not just whatever, the luck of the draw. No, your days are determined by him. The day that you would be born and created, the day that you will go back into the ground and back into dust. This is the power of God. As you look at verses four and six, again, looking at how quickly life vanishes, we See how God is the one who created time and how this isn't an issue for him. You and I understand very well our issue with time. We can't avoid it. We try. 
There's even serums out there now to wipe on your face to look as if time hasn't affected you. Um, there's all of these things that we try to do to avoid time, but we just, we just simply cannot get past it. Every time we turn around another corner, time hits us in the face with how fast it's slipping away or maybe how it never seems to end, depending, I guess, on what you're going through and the situations that you are going through. But this just isn't the case for God because he created time. He's actually outside of time. But a lot of times we want to project onto him this, this need for time, which is, which is evident in our life. But we can't do that. You see, you and I, <laughs> from minute to minute, can change. Our emotions can change from minute to minute. Just by the drop of the hat, our strength can change from minute to minute. All these different things can just change in our life as time advances. And it can happen relative very, really quickly in our life. So sometimes this is how we think of, of God. But it's not how it is. He would say something, Moses would say something there in those verses in verse four. He says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. A watch in the night is about three hours. That's what it's talking about. But just a quick time, right? And so we think about this thousand years. It's quoted again in Second Peter uh, chapter three. Thinking about this, a thousand years is a day and day in a thousand years. I've often thought of this ever since I was a little kid. I've thought of this verse when it comes to when will Jesus come back? You know, because people have always said Jesus has to come back anytime. It's been a long time. And I used to always think, not to God, it hasn't been. It hasn't been that long since Jesus was on earth. I mean, to him, it was, according to this, two night watches, about six hours to God, roughly is what all this time has been for him. But see, we, in our minds, it's just hard to grasp that stuff. A thousand years is a long time, but not to the one who created time, not to the one who can step outside of time. Here we are today in the year 2020, which to God is not, that's such a short, short time. When we think about this, a God who is outside of time, yet despite this fact, we have a God who would enter into time. This is, a, this is what we just celebrated in Christmas and in Advent. We have a God who is outside of time, yet he would subject himself to time by coming as a baby, being born, Jesus, fully God, fully man, but entering into time, understanding then what it is to go through minute by minute, have the emotions change, the strength change, all those things that I talked about before. God would enter into that time for our sakes. And that's kind of where Moses is heading. Because as we get to verses 7 through 10, it started to talk about our sinfulness against God. And in verses 7 through 8, Moses realizes the sins of the people. And he realizes how this must sit before God because as he thinks about the bigness of God, right, as he thinks about who God is, all of a sudden, he must start to feel exposed because he starts to talk about his sin. And this really is the case. Whenever one starts to think about God and who he is, the vast, vastness of God, the, the powerfulness of God, all these attributes of God, when we really start to think about them and study them and understand them, what happens to us is we start to feel very exposed. Because if God really is all of these things, then he knows absolutely everything about me. Right? I mean, 
He knows your motives for being here this morning. He knows what you're thinking all the time. When you open that Christmas present and it was another pair of blue pants, he's like, I know that you hate this. Grandma doesn't know it because you're smiling. I know you hate this gift. I know you don't need another blue pair of pants, right? These are things that we just can't get away from. And when we, when we realize this about God, it really strikes deep. That's why the Bible would say God's word can cut all the way to the marrow. We can't avoid this. And when you think about Moses writing this psalm and when he would write this psalm, it makes sense. He's wandering around in the wilderness in this desert, fully exposed to everything. Exposed to the sun, exposed to the cold nights, exposed to the wet, exposed to all of these things. All of these people are experiencing this. There's absolutely nowhere to hide. And so Moses and Israel during this time understood what it meant to be exposed physically very well. But what Moses is talking about at this moment is about being exposed spiritually. There is nowhere to hide. We stand before God very guilty of our sin, and this is what we deserve, anger, his wrath. We, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. God, you, you see these things. So then in verses 9 through 11, we begin to realize what this means for us. And this is what Moses is bringing out as he is writing this psalm or this song. Verse 9, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. When I read that this week, I thought, man, this is, this is pretty spot on for this year. Very few people are finishing this year as if they've just won a race. Most people are finishing this year with a deep sigh, a deep groan. Oh, finally, this is over. Oh, finally, you know, 2020 is going to be behind us. The worst year that we have known in years and years and years. Finally, Moses is saying, we bring all of our years to an end like this. And verse 10, he even goes on to go even deeper, which is kind of sorrowful. I don't know if this is a song we would actually like to sing. <laughs> it wouldn't make us feel too good, would it, as we sing this song to this point? Verse 10 we might live 70 years, maybe 80 if we're lucky. But even if you live that long, it just really is a stinky life, right? Full of trouble, full of toil, full of strife. This is the life that we have. Many of you sitting here this morning, you could attest to this. We can see it when you go to stand up in a moment. It hurts to stand. You've been sitting too long and your joints have rested and now they don't want to move anymore. And so you'll limp your way out of here to your car and you'll barely get out of your car to limp into your house. What is that? That's toil, that's trouble, that's the difficulties of life, that's our bodies and the effect of time and the things that we have been through. One truth that you cannot avoid in scripture is that life is difficult. You can't avoid that. I don't know how anybody reads the Bible and comes away at the end of it saying, life is awesome here. I really don't know how you, get a, how you come away with that after reading all of scripture. And really, this has been one of the big tricks of Satan lately for sure within many churches is to preach and to teach that this life is supposed to be great. 
If you have God in your life, this life is awesome. And you should be experiencing this awesome life all the time. I'm sorry, that's just not biblical. You should have hope all the time as a Christian. You should have joy all the time as a Christian. You should have peace. All these words that we've been talking about during Advent. Yes, that is very true. You should have these things. But it doesn't mean that it's not filled with toil and strife and difficulties. And if anybody would understand that, it would have to be Moses. Look at verses 11 and 12. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Moses here comes up with a realization and he has a question. It's a question that he's been wondering. And I want you to think about this. What what Israel has been going through is 40 years of funerals. That's the whole point of them wandering. This will be over when you die. That's the point of it. When this generation who had no faith dies, then we'll go into the promised land and fight the battles that we need to fight. And so Moses' job is to just see people die off, including himself, because he will die before they enter as well. Think about the joy of that life. You might say, I wish I was like Moses. No, you don't. That's a horrible way to lead people. Well, well, Moses, when will this be over? Well, Frank, when you die, you're the last one hanging on. If you just die, we'd go on in, right? I mean, that's not what you want to do, but that's just the fact of what's being told here. That, that's what he has been doing, is 40 straight years of walking around at a funeral. And so Moses knew grief. Moses knew suffering. He, he knew pain. Yet he would also see this. Over and over again, the people that he led would turn from God. Instead of going to God and saying, we have all this stuff, but we should be running to the Father. Instead, they were always angry at the Father. They were always having difficulties with this God. And so that's why Moses would ask this question in 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? The answer is very clear even in today's day and age. Very few people ever think about that. Very few people think about the wrath, the fear, and the anger of God against sin. Because honestly, it's just not pretty to think about. But when you contemplate that according to God's word, and you see the other truths in God's word, It actually will help us. That's why Moses then goes to verse 12 and he says, so then, teach us to number our days. Teach us to remember our days and really to use them wisely. Right To think about the time that we have here. And this is, I think, one of the big differences for us as Christians, those who've been saved by God's grace through the power of Christ. This is how we live differently than everybody else. We know our days on earth are numbered. It's just how it is. We know that God has made man eternal. We know this. We know that when when you die, it's not the end. It's not over for you. We also know that God's anger and wrath consume the sinner. We understand that. We realize that. We might not like to talk about it all the time, but we do know this as Christians. But... We also know 
There's an answer to all of this. There's an answer to all of these problems that we face. And we hear this from Moses at the end of this psalm in verses 13 through 17. Look what it says. I'll I'll read it again. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. He understands his need for God in all of this. I'm exposed, completely naked before you, God. I, I have nothing. I don't know what to do. Have pity on me. Have mercy on me is what he's saying here. Have mercy on us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to the children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is Moses' prayer before God. Return to us, God. Have pity on us. Satisfy us in the morning. Make us glad after all we have seen. Let, let us see your work. Let us see the plan that you have. Show us your favor and establish our work. This is the prayer of Moses as he, as he understands, again, the vastness of God. He understands his sin before God. He's understanding all these things. And this is the prayer that he lays out. And we today, as new covenant Christians, can be assured God has actually done all of this for us in Christ. The prayer that Moses prays here has 100% been answered in Jesus, in that baby born in the manger that we've been celebrating. In John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when he would say, Come, God came in the flesh. We also see that he would have pity on the people. In Matthew 9, 39, speaking of Jesus, says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We also see that Jesus satisfies, as Moses would pray, satisfy us in the morning. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's a satisfaction completely. He would pray, he would say, make us glad Moses would do that. Well, John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We say, God, I want to know your plan. This is our prayer. Mark 10, 42 to 45. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave for all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, the the disciples wanted to know the plan. What is the plan? They had the same question that Moses had. And Jesus says, this is the plan. I've come to give my life for many. That's the plan. Moses would say, show us your favor. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When Moses would cry out to God, show us your favor, we, hopefully as Christians, as believers, understand that God has showed us his great favor 
by grace. The ultimate gift that he gave to you, listen, you don't deserve it. There's nothing special about you. There's nothing special about me. I'm a sinner exposed before God, but yet I would pray, God, show me your favor. And he would say, I am. Here, here's my son. Here's my grace poured out on you. Moses would say, have pity. Here's my mercy. But Moses didn't stop there. It wasn't just show favor, but then he said, establish the work of my hands. That was the, that was the prayer. It was interesting at the end. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And there in, in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so God has done that for you as a believer. If you've been saved, if you've trusted in Jesus by faith and the forgiveness of your sins, what, what is being said there? is that he has established the work of your hands for good works for him. Not just so that you can sit and consume and take all the time, but actually to go and do works of his kingdom and to be a part of his kingdom. It's pretty amazing that Moses would pray this prayer thousands of years before Jesus. Yet Jesus would fulfill every single request that he would ask as Moses was wandering around that desert. Every need of Moses, every need of Israel at that moment finds its yes in Jesus and in Christ. This year, maybe for some of you, 2020 feels like a wandering in the desert. I was telling Pastor Spencer, I was reading uh, some pastor on Twitter. He was trying to spin, you know, the good of 2020, things that he learned. Church cannot be destroyed, just some things like that. And one of the things he put at the bottom was, that God was with us in the wilderness. Sounds good, but the way he said it made it sound like we were out of the wilderness. And I wondered, if 39 years down the road, we're still in this wilderness, will the words still ring true? God is still with us in the wilderness. Will it still be the same excitement? Will there still be the same joy and hope in his life? Will he still be able to say those things? One of the things that we should understand as Christians is no matter what 2021 may bring, it doesn't change what Jesus has done. It doesn't change his plan at all. It doesn't change anything whatsoever. I am still finding favor with God through Christ no matter what this coming year brings. No matter what 2020 would bring my way, Jesus was still there still saved me, still loved me, still established the works of my hands over and over and over and over again. Therefore, the joy still remains. The hope is still very evident. I feel like in most of the messages lately, it's been, let's get our chins up, Christians. But I think that's needed. Everybody's head is down right now. Everybody's. It has been rough. It has been difficult. But one of the things that should set us apart above everybody else is we have our heads held high. Because my hope is not built on America. My hope is not built 
on our economy. My hope's not even built on my health or my securities. My hope is built on Jesus, right? My hope is built on him, on his blood, on his righteousness. Therefore, I can have joy. You know, that's one of the special things about observing Lord's Supper together as a church family. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus would tell us to do this. This is why he would establish that. And even Paul would write and say, this is why we we do this. We do this to to remember this truth. You remember how I said we're uh, we're so controlled by time? Remember that? God knows that. And so when you look at something like this, it really is ridiculous. I mean, a cup and wafer on top, it's really foolish, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it really is silly. And it, I say this every time, it doesn't taste good. The juice is gross. The bread on top's worse than the old bread we used to eat. None of it, none of it is enjoyable. And so you ask the question, then God, why did you give us this? It's because God knows that minute by minute, you'll forget about him. All it takes is one bad thing. Some of you are 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. All it took was one year. One year to just bring you down in the dumps. And so what did God do? He established something for us as a church. We call it Lord's Supper. To remind us that Jesus' blood was spilt for you. He died on that cross so that your sins could be forgiven. And before the foundations of the world were ever made, it was planned all along that you would be saved by his grace. The body would be broken, would be dismantled, would be made so you couldn't even recognize him anymore. Why? So that God's wrath could be appeased. So this wrath that Moses was talking about could be completely satisfied because the answer wasn't found in you and it wasn't found in me. It wasn't found in the things of this world. It was found in Jesus. So the reason that God established this right for us here is so that we would remember that. Now I know that for those of us who are Christians, we'll partake of this this morning. But probably by this evening, you'll forget if you're like me. I'll be honest, I had to write in really big letters, don't forget Lord's Supper on the bottom of my paper because of how fickle my mind is to forget things. We'll forget, but the good news is God's love's everlasting. It's not based on my fickle mind. And we'll be, do our best as a church to be faithful to doing this often, to remind us again and again, he died for you and he's promised to come back for you. And we look forward to that day. So if you would, take your little cup. And I don't know if you prepared it for yourself. I warned you earlier. But Jesus would, after Passover meal, it says he was in the upper room and he would tell his disciples, after he took the bread, he would bless it. He would say, this is, this is my body, he would say which to them, no doubt, was very confusing. For us, hopefully, we understand that. But the Bible does say that he blessed it, and so we always do that here as well before we partake of it. So if you would, bow with me, and let's pray and ask God to bless this for us. 
God, I, I thank you for the body of Jesus that was able to satisfy your wrath in my place. God, we know that Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He did not deserve that. But he willingly and obediently went to the cross for his body to be broken, to satisfy that wrath in my place. And God, there's no greater love than that. And so God, I thank you for that body that was broken. And God, I ask that you'd bless it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus would say, take, eat, this is my body. that's broken for you. Then after that, the Bible tells us that Jesus would take the cup and he would bless that as well. So if you would, bow again and we'll ask God to bless the cup. God, we thank you for the blood that was spilt. God, as we talked about a little bit on Christmas Eve in our service, blood that was necessary. Our last Sunday we talked about this as well. The blood that was needed for forgiveness of sin. God, I'm thankful that the perfect spotless blood of Jesus is able to wash our sin white as snow. And God, for those of us this morning again who've been saved by your grace, we understand today that when you look at us, you don't see our sins, you don't see our guilt, our shame, our faults. Instead, you see the spotless blood of your son, Jesus. And you've put his righteousness on our lives. So God, I pray that we would understand that more and more each day of what that means, what you have done for us, the lengths that you have went. God, take this juice now and bless it to our bodies and help us to fully understand more and more the depth of its meaning we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, take, drink. This is blood of the new covenant. After that, they would sing together. Pastor Matt's going to come and lead us in a song. We'll close, we'll close with this song. But before we sing, let's, let's bow and pray one more time. All right. God, I thank you for this psalm that we were able to look at today and read. Psalm 90, I thank you that Moses would pen this psalm. And God, I thank you for the truths of it, that it still lasts today. God, I thank you that that prayer that Moses prayed there at the end of that song, that all of it was satisfied in, in Jesus and the work and the person of Christ. And so God, I pray that you would help us to hold fast to that each and every day, to find our joy in that. God, I know that we talked about how this life is difficult and, and troublesome, but yet we all realize and hear and understand that you are so good to us that there are many days on this earth that are great, that we enjoy. God, you've created things and given us things and made things that you tell us to enjoy. And there's no sin in enjoying those things. And so we, we thank you for those. But God, we also understand the difficulty of life. It is hard. There's many ups and downs throughout life. But God, I thank you that no matter the ups, no matter the downs and how far down it may feel, nothing separates us from you. And so God, I thank you that you hold us in your strong right hand. 
I thank you that we can call you Father. I thank you that you've adopted us into your family and that we are your children. God, I thank you that you allow us to be a part of your kingdom and to work in the kingdom, that you have established the works of our hands, that you've prepared already the works that we will do for your glory, for your purposes. So God, just help us to remain faithful to those things. And God, as you know, our minds are fickle. I pray that you would help us today, this week, the coming months, this coming year that we're about to face. Help us to be very diligent, to work hard at keeping our, our everything focused on, on you, on your glory. Remind us often, God, of what you have done for us so that it will fill us with joy over and over and over again. God, we thank you for how good you are to us. I thank you that even though we are exposed before you, you love us and you've saved us. So God, we praise you for that. God, as we sing this last song, I pray that it be a sweet aroma to you. Help us to worship you and you only during this time we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.